Europe, at school. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Europe at School podcast. Today we are joined by Jessica Camilleri to discuss a very important topic in moving towards a better Europe, the inclusion of disabled people in our society. Well, thanks very much for coming today, Jessica. Could um, We understand that your own personal experience has motivated you to speak out on these issues. So could you just tell us a bit about how that's influenced you? Hi, um, thank you very much for yourselves um, for giving me this opportunity. It's truly an honour to speak and share my insights about inclusion, specifically for people with disability on such a wide platform. And um, we have introduction. Um, basically, my personal connection to this topic is that I myself am a twin to a brother who has autism. Um, that obviously adds to my enthusiasm in speaking openly about inclusion within this regard. So I'm very, very happy to be here. And what's the current state of inclusion like for disabled people in the EU? Um, so I like to see inclusion as, as kind of a faceted approach. Okay, so you have inclusion in terms of equal opportunities within the workplace, you have inclusion in, you know, societal inclusion, societal stigma. And I feel that within those two regards, we've actually done pretty well. I mean, I can reference um, multiple EU um, special acts that have been issued on, you know, people with disability, etc. Um, but, uh, for example, if I can mention the EU's Charter of Fundamental Rights, UN's Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities, and much has been done to continue to promote this sense of active inclusion. Um, similarly, I also believe societal stigma has shifted to be a bit more modern. Uh, I feel that it's become uh, more accepting of people with you know, these diverse behavioural characteristics that deem to be outside of the norm, so to speak. Um, so I think our, our level of acceptance um, has definitely increased, I mean, possibly due to increased awareness by the EU and other countries alike. It could have been um, to more exposure to the topic in terms of, of more children are being diagnosed with these um, conditions to some extent. So definitely awareness plays a major part in this. So I think the current state within those two regards is, is has pretty much improved over recent decades. However, there is still uh, much to be done, particularly with regards to lifelong inclusion, which is a, a topic that is very close to my heart. I obviously as a twin and as a family member to someone who, who has um, disability, um, can tell you firsthand that this is an issue of concern not only um, for the parents and the families uh, respectively but also to the individual themselves because inclusion encompasses a wider definition so inclusion is also within not only the immediate term but also the longer term so how inclusive are we going to be um, for people with different behavioural characteristics in the future and I make reference to particular institutions so for example Traditionally, usually um, government institutions or government entities, you know, cater for this, but I do not think that it is well catered for across the board. I feel that much more needs to be done in the current state with, within, within this regard. What, in your opinion, do we have to do to move forward? What paths can we take to become more inclusive? 
Definitely. Well, um, for societal inclusion, as I said, we've 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 done pretty well. Um, but obviously, if we had to increase, for example, um, cater kind of cater specific facilities within society, such as increased quiet areas and facilities in open spaces, this is already quite pertinent. So, for example, in in major societal events, you have specific areas for people with disability. Depending on the disability, you have increased accessibility. But obviously, this can always be better, and therefore an increase in these quiet areas and open spaces helps create a more safe and more accessible environment for everyone. Um, but with regards to the longer term active inclusion that I was talking to about before, I was referring to mostly lifelong learning and independent living. Um, I really believe this is an area which we, amongst many other countries, lack. Yet this is one of great importance and a source of concern, as I said, not only for people with disability, but everyone who supports them. Um, as I said, we need to move away from the traditional government housing system and move towards a coherent framework for lifelong sustainable institutions that are well placed and tailored to meet the needs of people with disability, all the while supporting their right to independence. And in this case, I would like to refer to, for example, Netherlands case um, where they have created um, a place called Hogwe, if I've pronounced that correctly, um, which is the only long-term care facility of its kind in the world. And it creates a safe space tailored for people with dementia. All right, it cares for over 150 people as of today, um, catered to that specific condition. Now we can start um, to kind of pave the way to this modernized innovative transition. And we can start with, for example, private institutions, long-term care institutions that are catered to the individual. They are tailored to the individual but also was promoting active inclusion. So this would also provide an accommodative community. So a sort of intra-community where people with disability can feel that they are not completely excluded from society and that, listen, there are other people who have different behavioral characteristics and so feel part of a community intra-network. And also then be also part of the wider community in general. So that I feel is the first thing that we need to do and we need to try and take that step. Um, it definitely is very important for the individual because it gives them a sense of independence. Most often than not, um, these individuals spend most of their life with their immediate family or their immediate caretakers. And I believe that that takes away from their independence. And so in having these well catered for institutions, private institutions, government institutions, whatever it may be, but well formulated, well catered, well tailored, not simply just a housing institute or something of the sort just to say that we have it under the rope so definitely um something of the sort private institution that can still promote their independence while kind of also promoting and safeguarding uh, you know active inclusion and also again as i said before this will reduce heavy reliances on the families or caretakers that might be left in limbo on the future well-being of their loved ones with disability because obviously this is a very very major concern obviously people grow old and then you'd start worrying and thinking about who's going to take over who will take care especially if something happens to my health who will then be in charge and so this will kind of be a safety net or at least um, help alleviate that limbo for obviously the people who, who take care of people with disability. Obviously, if this is low functioning, I might also want to refer to a difference here because I believe that much has been done for high functioning people with autism, um, not only with autism, but also people with disability. Um, but I want to shed emphasis on that we need to promote more those that are very low functioning because most of the things that I've seen, um, be it institutions, activities, opportunities, they mostly cater for very high functioning individuals. And we 
tend to kind of not cast away, but we tend to not give so much importance to people with low functionality, which, which basically are the individuals who need that support the most, who need to justify their independence the most, who do not have that voice that we can provide um, to put forward and put forward arguments for their right to independence, their right to, to equal opportunities, and also their right to active inclusion. Of course. Um, to sum up, could you just conclude by giving us a summary of what the EU's relationship is like with, with inclusion? Definitely. Well, um, as I said before, I think the EU has has strived towards active inclusion. There's inclusion.europe as well with, with an EU's core ethos, ambitions, rights and belonging. And I think that the reforms that have been put forward so far has been, have been successful. Um, but as I said, we need to take advantage of um, our European values and take advantage of this coherency and consistency framework that we have built. Um, as such, my main message here is that we not only look at the immediate term, but we look at the longer term considerations that truly help European countries and other countries alike safeguard these same rights that we now strive to protect. I believe that if such suggestions are taken on board, together with, a co with the coherency that the European approach provides, we can live up to that same EU core ethos, the ambitions, rights and belonging as part of, well, as inclusion.europe. And obviously this is successfully achieving a true, actively inclusive world for everyone. This essentially is giving a voice to those who do not have that voice. Thanks very much for talking to us, Jessica. It's been great to have you on. Thank you very much. Thank you, it was a pleasure. If there is a European issue you believe is important to young people and you would like to develop a podcast episode with us about it, please do get in touch by emailing teo.lucarpontier at jeff.eu. Thanks for listening and do join us again next time.